chapter 4, where Paul is continuing to lay out the applications of the principles that he's established in the opening chapters. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and following, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Father, we ask that you would indeed open our hearts, our minds, our souls to hear your word, that you might set us free to be who you made us and created us and moreover redeemed us to be in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Disney's latest animation blockbuster was the movie Moana which came out last Thanksgiving, which tells the tale of an adventurous teenager who sails out on a daring adventure, a daring mission to save her people. And as their own plot summary says, along the way, she fulfills the ancient quest of her ancestors and discovers the one thing that she has always sought after, which is her very own identity. At the pivotal point in the movie when Moana begins to comes to the realization of who she is and who she was made to be as she's been on this quest, she sings the song of Moana and the song of the ancestors. And she says this. I won't sing it for you. She says, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she says, I am Moana of Matanui. Who am I? I'm a girl who loves my island. I'm the girl who loves the sea, and it calls to me. And the daughter of the village chief, we are descended from voyagers who found their way across the world. They call to me. I've delivered us to where we are. I have journeyed farther. I am everything I've learned and more. Still, it calls me. And the call isn't out there at all. It's inside me. It's like the tide always falling and rising. I will carry you here in my heart. You'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. I am Moana. And Moana is a beautiful film, phenomenal animation, a very catchy soundtrack that is an enjoyable movie that it makes you appreciate the grandeur of the oceans and the South Pacific, the grandeur of the world, and joins you into this quest of this person that we can identify with and trying to find, figure out who they are and figure out who their true self really is. And Moana is simply also just the latest expression of the beliefs that animate our culture and the beliefs that, quite frankly, animate many of our own lives. You need to follow your own heart. You need to believe in yourself. You need to chase your dreams. And high school and college graduations over the last couple weeks have been filled with speeches of, of graduation speakers exhorting the audiences that you are the creator of your own identity, that you must fulfill and discover your most authentic desires, that 
true freedom, a true sense of identity comes through realizing and setting, your, setting yourself free and expressing who you are. And in order to do so, you must break through. You must persevere. You must push back any restraint, any restraint upon you that would inhibit who you truly are. You must push back the, back the restraints of your parents, push back the, past the restraints of a religion, past the restraints of your own personal past, and you must follow the calling that is within you, the calling of your own true heart so that you can become your true self. I mean, after all, you've got to do what you've got to do. So in Moana's quest to find her own identity, and as she beautifully sings, still it calls to me, and the call isn't out there at all. It is inside of me. I am Moana. She is merely putting to words the belief that drives many of our lives and nearly the, drives the lives of every one of our children, for those of you that have them. And while this belief feels quite liberating, quite liberating be your true self. Discover your inner self. Discover the inner call that comes from within you. And while it promises the peace of, of knowing and being and accepting who you are, it is a belief that ultimately will leave you empty, disgruntled, and still searching. And the reason why is because there are parts of you, there are deep parts of you that call to you. There are deep parts of you and parts of yourself, deep parts of your being that not only hinder your true self, but actually thwart you from becoming your true self. Our hearts actually thwart becoming our true selves. Over 100 years ago, in 1907, a man by the name of P.T. Forsyth was reflecting on modern culture 110 years ago. And he wrote, he said, what is unique about modern culture that has not been there before, what is unique about modern culture is that we are our own authority. And the core of our culture is the overturning of all authority outside of ourself. That was 110 years ago that he wrote that. And that idea that, that in order to find yourself that there is no authority outside of the individual self and that truth is determined and found individually has been massively propagated not only through the United States but throughout Western culture. But it is a uniquely Western idea. Tim Keller, reflecting on the cultural shift and the expression of this belief in modern culture, writes, he says, this was an unprecedented move. An unprecedented move towards individualism. The idea that each person had within him or herself the capability of, of discovering truth without the aid of, of ancient wisdom and without the aid aid of divine revelation. This was a radical shift towards individualism. And again, it's a uniquely Western idea. But the Bible identifies the problem is that what happens is that our hearts thwart becoming our true self. It doesn't actually help us get there despite this deep-seated value. And the Word of God defines that the reason why you cannot become your true self and your heart doesn't help you is because our hearts are hard. That deep within ourselves, our true self is hindered and thwarted due to the hardness of our hearts. Indeed, at the end of the verse 18, he says this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Now, we need to clarify what is meant by the word here for heart. 
In our culture, and our usage within media today, the word, our word heart, as we use a person, say we need a person needs to follow their hearts, our culture uses that term to mean that your heart is where your emotions come from. The heart is the seat of your soul. Your heart is, is the, the rudder that will guide you into, into truth and the, and the guide that will lead you to be who you truly should be and who you truly are. And the mind is, the, is understood to be separate from the heart. That the mind is the place of reason, and the heart is the place of the emotions and are often the soul, and those two are oftentimes in conflict with each other. In Scripture, that delineation is not made. As the Bible uses the term hardness of heart, and uses the term heart, our heart, biblically, is not merely our emotions, but it is also the seat of our volition. Our heart is where our emotions, our thinking, and our acting, where all of these things come together. It is the heart is the seat of the mind, it is the seat of the emotions, it is the seat of the will, and all those things interact one with another. And so Ephesians, Paul here in Ephesians, articulates what happens about how our hearts thwart becoming our our true selves. He actually lays out four steps here. The first is this. The first, indeed, is the hardness of heart, as it says in verse 18. So the heart is the seat of the mind, will, and emotions. But what is meant by hardness? The word here for hardness, it means obstinacy. It means a willful obtuseness. He says, so this is due to the obstinacy that is in their heart. It is not just a condition, but it is a a rejection of an outside authority. It is the sentiment that P.T. Forsyth said, we are our own authority. It is the sentiment of Moana that says, come what may, I know the way. I will listen to the call that is inside of me. I am the one who determines this individually. That there is an obstinacy and a rejection of any authority that is outside of the self. And a rejection of God, we are our own authority. A rejection of God as the source of truth. And by doing so, the irony is that our true self does not become more free, it actually becomes less so. Why? Because of what happens in the next step. First thing that happens is the hardness of heart with this rejection of God. Second thing is the darkness of mind. Hardness of heart, darkness of mind, as one scholar laid out this delineation. Verse 18 declares, they are, as they do in the futility of their minds, which happens is that people don't think clearly, and they are darkened in their understanding. Understanding becomes confused and twisted. Paul reiterates this idea in verse 22 in describing where this confusion of mind, this darkness of mind comes from. He says, it is corruption through deceitful desires. What happens is that our heart has desires. Those desires are inherently deceitful. We don't think rightly or clearly. Now, to be understand, to be perfectly clear, when the Bible talks about deceitful desires, what it is not saying is it is not teaching that desires are bad. In fact, the Bible actually teaches that our desires are God-given. And it is not teaching a denial of desires, like Buddhism or asceticism would espouse. Rather, what it is teaching is that our desires are untrustworthy. They are an untrustworthy guide. They will not lead you into truth, nor will they lead you into happiness or wholeness. And again, what happens here is that the desires that we think 
will bring about happiness, will bring about wholeness if we just let them free, if we just let them go. What happens is a person ends up becoming more deceived, less their true self, and more wounded in heart and hurt. So take one example, one realm, for example. Take the area of, of sexual, ex- sexual exploration. People go through life and they say, you know what? I don't care. I don't think this is wrong. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want with whomever I want. And so they go into this quest that's saying, this is the way that I'm going to be accepted. This is the way that I'm going to find enjoyment. This is the way that I'm going to find happiness. And as that progresses and as people go through more and more partners and try more and more different things, guess what? It doesn't satisfy the yearning within their soul. And instead what happens there is that they come to the end of that and there is this profound sense of brokenness. I hear it regularly. A profound sense of brokenness that says, wait a second, who's going to want me now? Who's going, to, who's going to accept me now? Who's going to trust me now after the things that I've done? I mean, if, somebody, if people actually knew the things that I did, if people actually knew the things that have come out of me, they, they would run in the opposite direction. And the, and the sadness there is that a person goes down this path thinking that they're going to be their true self, thinking that they're going to find freedom, thinking that they're going to be liberated. In the end, they're just in more bondage. The desires, our desires mislead us, and it affects both our emotions and our thinking. Hardness of heart, darkness of mind. And the progression is that when our hearts become hardened, rejection of any outside authority such as God, rejection of God, our hearts become hardened, our thinking becomes darkened, and there is this self-deception that goes on. Tim Keller, again, reflecting on this, the interaction between the heart, the mind, the emotions, the will, states What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable. The emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. In common parlance, we would say where there's a will, there's a way. That if there is a determination that someone's heart really wants something, it all makes sense. It's perfectly clear, right? It makes sense why you need to do it and why your actions are justifiable. It makes sense. Um, It makes sense why what you're going to do is going to be okay. It all works out. What the heart wants, everything else follows, follows from it and works out from it afterwards. Our desires mislead us. And this has become where it's easy to see how our hearts thwart become, become, how our hearts thwart becoming our true selves. It's easy to see this because there are problems with our desires. There are problems with what the heart most wants as a way of life. And the problems are that our desires are not coherent. They don't make sense. Our desires are not not cohesive. They're oftentimes quite contradictory. And our desires are not consistent. They change over the course of our lives. That what a person wants when they're a teenager is very different than what they want in their mid-20s. And what a person wants in their mid, most wants in their mid-20s is often very different than what they want in their 30s or 40s. And what they want in their 30s or 40s is oftentimes very different than what they want later in life. And unfortunately, what happens is that people at an early stage, thinking that they are going to be their true self and set themselves free, put themselves and make permanent decisions that are fundamentally contradictory to what they want at a later stage of life and a later time in life. And it's also just true in our own typical examples, our own experience of life, that our desires, our deep desires that we want, contradict one another. 
And our, and our culture is telling us, you need to discover and fulfill your deepest desires. But they're often against one another. For example, many people, men and women, but oftentimes, many times women, have desires to have a successful and meaningful career, and that desire is in conflict with what they want for their family and the vision they have as a mother. Those two things run into one another. We individually, we want to indulge ourselves with certain foods or certain experiences or certain beverages. We want to indulge ourselves. We have a desire to do that when it's there before us. At the same time, we want to be healthy and yet we don't want to be dead. And those desires, those desires contradict one another. Well, which one is you going to follow? It's an unstable, it's an untrustworthy guide. You take it in the relationship realm. We want, to be, we want to be loved, we want to be known, we want to be accepted, but at the same time, we want to be freed from the mess of a relationship. We want to be freed from the struggles of having to deal with another person, but we want the intimacy, but we don't want to have the challenges within there. The two are coming within, each, within there. And there are profound things that happen if you set yourself that you are going to fulfill one of those desires to the exclusion of the other. There are detrimental things come. Our desires are not coherent. And so a self, a personal identity that is based on feelings, that is based on the heart's desire, is incoherent. It is unsustainable. It is unstable. It is inherently contradictory. So that's the second phase, hardness of heart. Secondly, darkness of mind. Thirdly, what happens as it lays out here is deadness of soul, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. is what happens that when people reject God, and they reject God as a source of truth, they are alienated from him. Not only do our sins do this, but the people's outright rejection of God and rejection of his people is that there is this distancing between God and people. And part of God's judgment is that he removes his peace. He removes the invigoration that comes from knowing from him. And he says, okay, you want to follow your desires to do whatever you want? Have at it. I will unrestrain this for you. And he takes a step back. And part of God's judgment on people and on mankind is to let people have what they most want. And then that often leads into step four, which is uh, recklessness of life. Hardness of heart, darkness of mind, deadness of soul, and recklessness of life. Verse 19. They have become callous, that is, insensitive to things, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what happens for a person is that there are these desires that they have, originally God-given desires, but those desires become a consuming desire. It begins to drive their life and drive their decisions. God says here is that here they're giving them up to sensuality, that the desire becomes a sensual drive, that people are living this life and they are living life for more, more sensuality, more stuff, more sex, more varied, different types of sex with different types of people, more food, more vacation, bigger house. I want more Whatever, if you're not married, you're like, well, I need a, a deeper relationship. I need to get married. That person gets married, and they're like, this still doesn't satisfy me. We need to have kids. We pour ourselves into kids, and they say, wait a second, this doesn't satisfy me. And there's this quest for more things, more experiences, more stuff, more career, all these things going on. And while that is being pursued, what happens within the individual is bondage. 
Instead of freedom, instead of being truly yourself, there is this nagging sense of emptiness. There is this anxiety that comes along with it that goes on and says, listen, I look at my life and I've done whatever I've wanted to do. I went to school. I got a good education. I've got a good job. I'm, maybe I'm married. I've got a good home. I've got a good life. But yet, is this it? There is this gnawing, nagging emptiness that is still driving inside of me that is saying, there has got to be something more. And instead of becoming your true self, what happens is that your true self has been thwarted and replaced with emptiness and bondage and anxiety. And all of this, Scripture calls the old self. And quite frankly, that's the reason why some of you are here today. is because you have been going down this pathway and it hasn't worked out. And you have gone down that pathway and say, you know what, I've tried everything. But there's got to be something else. I've, I've tried everything, everything that people told me to do and that I thought would be good to do, and there's still an emptiness. In fact, I feel more lost, more confused than I did before. And the reason for that is because there is a deep part of yourself that has thwarted you becoming your true self. It has not only hindered it, but it has thwarted you becoming your true self. But what is amazing about God and his mercy and grace is that Jesus Christ sets our self free. Jesus Christ is the one who sets us free. Now Paul is talking to an audience that is Christian, and he says to them, assuming that they're all Christians, he assumes their conversion, he assumes that they are in Christ. And I know not all of you here today are. But he is assuming, for the sake of understanding the argument, he is assuming that these are people who have converted to Christ and put their trust in him. And he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ in terms of the old self. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The way that he describes it here. He says, in Christ... That you learn Christ, you heard about Christ, you were taught in Christ, for truth is in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the object, the focal point, and the substance of all of Christianity. It is the core of all Christian teaching. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of truth. It is not a theology, it is not a latest theory, it is the person and work of Jesus Christ living and active and there for you today. And Paul says, for those of you who are in Christ, you know this is that Christ is the one who has set us free. And so here is the way that this actually works out in an individual person's life. It is only when we profess and admit that we are far worse than we could ever imagine. It is only when we acknowledge that our hearts are confused, that we don't know what we want, that, we're, that following our heart has led us down a conflicted and an incoherent path. It is only when we admit this that we can be united to Jesus Christ and be found in him and found and, and through him to be made into our true self. So on the one hand, Christianity says some very offensive things, the Bible says. On the one hand, it says your desires are deceitful. You've been deceived. It says your heart has deceived you. You have been convinced that following your hearts and desires will help you be your true self, but it has only thwarted you and left you more empty. But if you are united to Jesus Christ, what happens is that you are set free from your old self and set free with a new self, rather set free to become your true self. 
And what happens to your desires is your desires then find their right place and they find their right function in Jesus Christ. For once you are in Christ, your old self is gone. You've been given a new self and you increasingly become who you objectively are. Christ sets us free. And it is through Christ that we become our true self. Now this is helpful for us to understand exactly what this term means. What is the true self? Verse 24 tells us. Put on the new self. All right, here's what it is. Created after the likeness of God God in true righteousness and holiness. What does it mean to be your true self, to be your new self? It means to be like God. To be created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, which means that it means that you are living life rightly. That you are doing, thinking, and saying things that are right, that are good, that are life-giving. That your new self, your true self, is created after God in holiness. What that means is free from contamination. That you don't do things and say things and think things that contaminate you and contaminate other people. Rather, the things that you do and say actually bring life to other people. And builds, builds up other people. Your true self is the one who was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness for, whom, for which Christ came and lived and died that we might experience it and might know it. Now, how does this become a, become a part of our lives? It tells us here in 22 to 23, three things. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. need to clarify the phrase here, to put off your old self, and what is meant by this. Some Bible translations do a disservice and um, really lead to some misunderstandings of this passage. And the way that it's translated is not, they're translated as individual commands. So you'll hear something like this, put off your old self, put on the new self. And those are commands that are being given to you imperatives, directives, commands that are being given. But the the grammatical structure here is that they're not commands. They're actually infinitives based upon it. And that's significant for exactly what he's saying. Because it's very easy for you to hear a teaching that says, if you've been around Christianity for a while and you heard the teaching about put put off the old, put on the new, and there is this assumption, one, that you actually have the ability to put off the old self and you actually have the ability to put on the new self, neither of which are true. And there is this assumption that if you have put off the old self and you've put on the new self, that that somehow you need to keep doing this because even though you've put on the new self, the old self keeps coming over and you need to put the old self back off again so the new self can be back on top of there. And it distorts all kinds of things. Now, what Paul is teaching here in this passage, which is true grammatically in this passage, but there is another passage, Colossians 3.8, that gives the same teaching in a little bit more clear way. In Colossians 3, he communicates the same thing, and he says this, But you must put them all away. Anger, you put away wrath, put away malice, put away slander, put away obscene talk from your mouth. Why? Do not lie to one another. Here's why. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What Paul is teaching here he says, understand who you are. In conversion, there is a decisive moment. It is a decisive act. 
In the moment of conversion, what happens is the old self is put off. The heart of stone is removed. The heart of stone is removed and a new flesh is put within you. The old self is removed and you are become a new self. There is a new spiritual birth that has occurred within you. You, who were once dead, are now alive. Now, what Paul is saying to switch metaphors here, is he says, you who were once dead and who are now alive, you're alive. Stop acting like a dead person. Your, new, your old self is gone. Put off the deeds of the old self. Stop acting like your old self because that's not who you fundamentally are. And that's Paul's command here in this passage. So he says, put off being, because the old nature, the old self has been put off, you now can be commanded to put off the practices of the old self and live, live as the new self because the old self is not who you are, but rather the new self is your true self. Live as you are. Become your true self. Become your true self through Christ Jesus, and that is already what he is doing within you. So the first thing he identifies is, since you are no longer your old self and are your new self, put off the deeds and the action of the old self. The second thing that he calls us to, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That in addition to the decisive replacement of the old with the new, which has occurred, In addition to putting off those practices, we need a daily inward renewal of our thinking as a Christian. Now, notice the contrast in verse 23 with what happened in the earlier verses. If degradation, recklessness of life, the quest for sensuality is due to the futility of the mind, the darkness of the mind, the hardening of the heart where a person pursues these things, but they become less and less their true self, then becoming your true self, becoming like Christ, depends in part also by the renewal of your mind. If before it was also by the futility of your mind and the darkness of mind, there is renewal that needs to occur on a daily basis through the renewal of your mind in Christ Jesus. And that's what he says. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What does this practically mean? It means that you, as individual Christians, what we need to do is no longer act and live according to the beliefs and practices of this world, no longer act according to the beliefs and practices that are inundating us from every aspect of our culture, no longer act and believe the way that we used to. For example, to no longer believe that the thing that you most need in your life is for your desires to be expressed in the fullest fullest way. That you need to listen to the most deepest thing that your heart wants and let them be unrestrained. Which voices all around you are constantly telling you. Rather, to be renewed in your mind in the specific areas to say, wait a second. That will only lead me down a path of futility and destruction. That will only thwart me from being my true self. What I need to do here is to submit that to Christ. And be who I am to live as my new self created after the likeness of God and righteousness and holiness to put off the things that are going to contaminate me and to live and act rightly because then I am truly myself and I am for the first time maybe truly alive. Truly becoming who God made me to be. The renewal of your mind. You know, there is this criticism that is levied against Christianity of, I don't really want to become a Christian because you're going to have to check your brain at the door. How would Paul respond to that? He'd be irate at the concept. He says, no, the very thing that's needed is for you to be intellectually engaged. 
for a renewal of your thought process and a renewal of your intellect. It is key to becoming who God made you to be, your true self, your new self in Christ Jesus. Third thing that he states there, put off the old because that's not who you are. Be renewed in the, in the spirit of your minds because you need to change your beliefs and thinking. And thirdly, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self. So he uses a clothing image here. It's like you've been out in the yard and you're messy and you're disgusting and you're soaking wet and it's 50 degrees and it's rainy and you're covered in mud. Paul's saying, no, what you need to do if you are in Christ, put off the filthy garments of your old self and put on some clean clothes. They're yours. Like change, man. You stink. And they're there for you. It's already been accomplished for you. Live as your new self. Now, in the upcoming verses we'll see in the future, upcoming weeks, Paul gives very spe- clear specifications and specific instructions about how to live as your true self. But the focus on these verses here today is that there is a call upon your life. There are many voices that are calling to you. There are voices from within yourself that are deep within you that are calling to you. They were calling to Moana, and they're calling to you. There are deep voices, there are voices outside of yourself that are calling you to be a certain way and act a certain way, and voices that are telling you, here is how you will find yourself, and here is how you will be happy. But there is at the same time a call from the Lord Jesus Christ. And while Moana of Matanui may actually be the one who articulates your belief belief most clearly, She may actually articulate your belief that you really think that your true self is going to be found and will be set free by following these internal calls from your heart and your desires. But Paul is encouraging you to listen to to another voice. To listen to something that, yes, is outside of yourself. That even though internally your own heart is calling to you, that there is still another one. There is one who calls to you. There is one who calls to you and who died to set you free. One who is calling to you and who died to set you free from your old self. Who is calling to you to set you free from a heart that thwarts your true self. And who is still calling to you so that you would be set free to be your true self, to be your new self. And the one who is calling you is Jesus Christ. May your heart be set free. May you become your true self through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you did not leave us to wander in confusion and darkness. Father, thank you that even though we rejected you, you did not reject us, but rather, Lord, you went on a rescue mission to call people who had turned away from you back to yourself that we might be set free from ourselves. And by doing so, Lord, you set us free to become who you made us to be, who you uniquely created us each individually to be, with beauty and dignity and honor. Lord, through Christ, would you set us free to be who you created us, made us, and redeemed us to be. Through Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.